I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This time on the Debunking Economics podcast, growth. Do we really need it? Well, capitalism is based on it. It seems growth is good. Staying put is bad. In fact, worse, it destroys wealth, we're told. So why is that? Why can't we have stable incomes, stable consumption, and expect our living standards to remain the same? In fact, over recent years, living standards for many people have been falling, even though the economy is growing, we're told. So Professor Steve Keen is here with us again. Uh, so do we need growth for the economy to function properly? Or is it just psychology that we uh, we like to think we have more money? Um, and, you know, if the economy keeps on growing and prices keep on going up and our house price keeps on increasing, we somehow feel as though we're better off. Is it psychological or is there a deep underlying mathematical reason, Steve? Uh, it's a bit of both. Uh, it also comes down to the distribution of income, because if you had um, if, you, if you look at the level of effective income and wealth that we had in the, in the global economy per capita, if you just divide the entire amount we produce uh, of, of, of the head of every living soul, on the, every living human soul on the planet, and then look at that, what it was in 1800, and now look at what it was today, we're about four times better off than we were back then. But of course, there are still people who are starving to death. There are still massive inequalities, and there are there are there are, there are plenty of billionaires there that, if you attempted to force feed them uh, with every single possible commodity that they could buy between now and when they're likely to, if, if they've had like a, a 20 years life expectancy, if you tried to get them to consume that stuff at the at the rate that would get them to zero by the time they reached a life expectancy, they'd literally explode. Uh, there's, there's simply no way they can consume everything that accumulated. So the, the part of the reason why economists are so fond of uh, lobbying for economic growth is that if you do get growth, then you don't need to worry as much about distribution. But if you don't get growth, and that's the situation we're in now, then distribution becomes absolutely to the fore, and that's why they're in panic mode right now. Yeah, but let's just well, we'll examine that again in a second. But just in terms of this idea of how much wealth and how much better off mm. we really are. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm in a house that you know it's, it's about a hundred years mm. old. Someone's lived in this house uh, on and off for a hundred years. Uh, let's go back twenty years. Whoever was living in this house, mm. they probably had a TV in the corner like I have. It might have been not as big as the one I've got now, but they still had a TV, they had a car, the kids went to school, uh, mm. they probably ate a, a similar amount as I'm eating now, uh, so, you know, I'm not any better off, um, and yet, you know, everything's costing more. Well, in fact, that's true for most people who've got a working class to middle class income, particularly when you look in America, the the actual take a real, real pay that American workers got peaked in about 1970. So they've really been stuck uh, in a in a in a you know a groove going nowhere for going on half a century now, which is why the American working class has gone from being absolutely happy and gung ho and, and pro the American system to being cynical and throwing the human hand grenade that Donald Trump is into Washington. So there's been half a century where that would have been true. But if you go back uh, and look at what what's actually given us the wealth, this is the thing that economists, unfortunately don't understand, like most so much else, really what gives us extra wealth is the ex exploitation we're doing and usage of energy. Mm. 
when you, when you look at what production is really doing, it's it's you know if you go like I go back two hundred years, the people in our equivalent situation were writing with uh, you know, with fountain pens uh, by candlelight, and in that sense, the number of photons that they were able to absorb at night. Uh, to continue writing their magnum opuses, you know, the, the principles of political economy for David Ricardo and so on. Uh, the number of physical photons were falling on the paper he was writing on is substantially lower than you and I can generate now by flicking on an LED light. Well, you might not agree, you might not agree with him. You've got to admire his dedication for writing it by candlelight. Oh, totally, and, and, and Marx in particular. I mean, God almighty, the stack of paper that guy wrote. Um, so, yes, it is, it is a, you've got to admire them, but the thing is they were doing it with far less energy per capita than we're absorbing right now. And there's a, a wonderful piece of work uh, by the United States Energy Commission taking a look at energy consumption in America right back to 1650 and then fitting that to uh, the per capita standard of living. And it's almost a perfect fit. Right. The, the amount of energy, the amount of watts per, uh, uh, per, per hour that we absorb has really been the driver of the amount of wealth that we have and that's that is what's unsustainable in the long run. This is what economists yeah. simply don't get. Which is gets, you, which goes back yeah. to my question: Do we? Yeah. I mean, do we need to continue to uh, to to have growth to for the? for the economy to survive and just I mean, let's look at that question of sustainability because i know i know what the uh the neoclassic economist answer to that is um because they like me probably grew up reading the club of rome report you know that uh was going to have us all starving to death by now but then innovation apparently has made us able to make uh, more use of the resources we uh, we have available mm-hmm. you know and there's talk that well that's only going to go so far we're going to reach a stagnation point but we mm-hmm. we get we get beyond that and we seem to continue to innovate and make more out of the uh, the resources that are available on the planet so that's always the argument that's given back isn't it that well you know uh it's not sustainable but we're going to make more out of what we have so that sort of makes it sustainable and that's why it's wonderful to see what physicists do when they actually take an economist apart on this front there's a wonderful blog post i recommend people to take a look at called exponential economist meets finite physicist and it's uh, written by the physicist who happened to find himself next to a fairly famous uh, economist and then started grilling the guy on what he understood about the laws of thermodynamics. And this for physicists were saying there are physical limits, and the economists are saying, no, they're not. We can innovate, we can change, you know, we'll always be improving. And the physicist points out, so like, let's assume you're right. You can actually do that. Uh, what then happens on the planet itself? And he wasn't talking global warming at all. He was saying, imagine there's no such thing as global warming. So or the temperature of the planet simply reflects the amount of heat being generated on the planet directly, not, not captured by anything. Because exploiting energy involves necessarily involves waste, you are dumping waste heat just by one of the... It's the simple laws of thermodynamics, which are the... Well, not simple, but they're, they're incontrovertible. Mm. You simply cannot get around them. If the, if the level of, if we continue to the current rate of uh, energy consumption, which is growing at about 3% per annum, even if you look at like a stable population, so the population stopped growing and you're only growing at about 2% per annum, that means you're doubling the amount of energy you're pumping out every 35 years. And he uses the example of uh, a rate of growth of 2.3%. All that means is that you every every century you're using ten times as much energy as you were the century before. He said, if we keep that up, forget about global warming. Nothing to do with global warming. Simply the the, the byproduct of the usage of energy. The amount of waste energy we need to radiate out out of the planet will be equivalent to the boiling temperature of water in about four hundred years. 
Right. So that gets back to the question, you know, are we, um, it's not sustainable. Why do we need growth? And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, going back to your point about, well, growth is, is there to, um, you know, to, to try and equalize the spread of, of of income. How is that Mm -hmm. so when, you know, I gave the example and your answer was, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of people like me who are probably no better off than they were 10 or 15 years ago. And yet the economy has grown. Clearly growth has fallen to the, to the, to the top echelons of society. They're, they're exactly. grabbing all the money, aren't they? Exactly. And that's what we have to be aware that capitalism will do that unless you have distributed mechanisms in the opposite direction that capitalists tend not to like. Yeah. But the, re- the only way you can maintain human society is, is if you don't have revolts all the time. And the, the Nick Honeau's comment about the pitchforks are coming yeah. is quite justified because of, you know, over half, in terms of looking at the state of uh, living of American workers, Something like seventy to eighty percent of the population hasn't benefited out of the last fifty years of economic growth. Right, so and because the central because part of that's actually gone backwards because capital accumulates. And um, yeah. so, so, so isn't the answer then? And this is uh, you know the, the, this is the, uh, economists would hate this idea, but isn't the answer that you then say? Uh, well, okay, you've, you've got to redistribute. Probably ta- heavy, hefty taxation is the way to do that. The answer to, you know, for, for people who are earning a lot of money, the answer for that, uh, to answer that is going to be, oh, that's not a good idea because that's a disincentive for them to innovate and they're the, they're the wealth creators. But if that slows down the rate of growth because those people are now not getting as much money, so what? How does that change things? Well, I think, um, the, the whole problem about taxation is it does make people angry about, you know, I've ended up getting it taken away. And in fact, we don't have to do that. You can actually use the state's capacity to create money to, to, to actually, you know, rather than taxing, you spend, but you don't spend on the wealthy, you spend on the working class, you spend on the poor and the middle class with, with a basic income, which matters far more to them than it does to the upper echelons. Right. And that has the same effect. But the, you're doing uh, that to create growth. You're doing that to, so you're giving money to people so they spend, therefore they spend more, therefore we consume more, uh, which keeps that growth going in the economy. But we still have that sustainability issue that you mentioned. Yeah, well, the sustainability to me, to me and I'm going to sound like a bit of a, a space cadet here, and I'm quite happy to sound that way. <laughs> Good. The, on, the only way we're sustainable in the long term uh, is to take production off planet. And we're literally getting to the stage where that's becoming a feasible thought. Certainly in the next century, uh, we will have, potentially could have, factories in space. Right, you are sounding a bit like a space cadet now. Yeah, yeah, I'm quite happy to do it. (laughs) We're we're within 10 years, potentially, of having a colony on Mars. Right, but Uh, why? But but can I, why? So if, because I'm, by the way, mm-hmm. I have no problem with having the same living standard I had 10 years ago, and I suspect yeah. most people don't. So, you know, they, they, if they can have a happy life, they're, they're mm-hmm. happy not to see growth. Yeah. They're happy f- for things to stay the way they are. Why mm-hmm. do we need the growth? Isn't there a way that the economy can continue to function without this desperate need to grow? It, it could, it could, because if we got to the stage where everybody got a decent standard of living, and that really means a decent share of the energy we're exploiting, because uh, that's fundamentally where our wealth comes from. Yeah. Um, then we would have, uh, you know, a, a quite comfortable society in the long term. Uh, so it, it, the growth focus uh, is there because, uh, you know, it, it, it comes back to the psychology issue you mentioned at the, the beginning. Um, I remember the discussions about apparently Larry Edison, I think, was the owner of owner of Oracle, uh, was overheard uh, talking about his the yacht that he had. And when he found that uh, it wasn't Bill Gates, but one of the other multi-billionaires had a bigger one, he wanted to have a bigger one than the other guy. Yeah, despicable, this, isn't it? It's, it's, 
it's it's what Veblen called conspicuous consumption. Yeah. Uh, Thorstein Veblen. If anybody hasn't read any Thorstein Veblen, just look up that phrase. He's, he's a wonderful writer from the 19, late, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, who was castigating both American culture but also American economics. Yeah. And he said that a huge part of what drives this behaviour of the of the uh, uh, acquisitive class, as he called them, uh, was conspicuous consumption. Now, if we, it, 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 it's, it's a, t- I mean, for example, I, I know a guy who owns a 160 foot yacht, which has a baby grant on it, and it's a racing yacht. Mm. The reason he owns it is because the smaller one, which is only 120 foot, wasn't fast enough. Is he happy? He couldn't fit the baby grant. Yes, actually, he is quite a happy guy. Because <laughs> uh, he's, but, but he's the, stinking rich. Of course he's happy. He's stinking but, rich. But, uh, would, but, he be, but the, would he be any less happy if he had half the wealth or a quarter of the wealth or even a hundredth no, of the wealth? Not, not by a lot. Well, except that he's trying to consume himself against global warming. He actually knows it's happening and he's built his own island, which is uh, <laughs> completely uh, energy self-sufficient. But uh, it, it, that if, if we then have a redistribution from that sort of society, what do we all do with our share of a 160-foot yacht? Well, we I don't mean, have we, the yacht. That's the uh, you know that's the thing. Yeah, the yeah. Uh, we, you know we don't need the yacht. And that's we, we, the- we're, we're, we're living in a gilded age where the inequality, which is driven again largely by my, my favourite topic of debt uh, and leverage of asset prices, has been driven by that. And we therefore have this incredible inequality where we simply even can't redistribute what's being created out of that excess inequality. So, and, and now we're realising by looking around the globe that inequality, uh, people used to think, well, capitalism needs inequality, so people innovate. There's partial truth to that without without a doubt. But at the same time, this excessive levels of inequality we've generated now mean people no longer trust the system. They no longer accept the levels of wealth that the highly wealthy people accumulate, and you start getting social breakdown coming out of it. And we're really seeing the beginning of it right now. Well, we are. So unless we wake up, we're in big trouble. So, so, uh, you know, we're we're still, you know, we still have capitalism. It's the best system, you know, we've got for now. Uh, mm. But capitalism really does rely on growth, doesn't it? I mean, if we were to say, look, around the world, if all the uh, all the leaders of the world said, look, yeah, we need to distribute wealth, but we don't need this whole growth thing going on. Uh, you know, we plus we want innovation. We want a, a way that, you know, we can do things better, like, for example, getting more out of the energy we consume, uh, but also, you know, innovation that makes our, our life a little bit better. We still want that sort of stuff going on, uh, but we don't want all the money that comes from that innovation to go to the top echelons of society, we want it to be uh, shared around. I sound like such a, uh, a, 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 a socialist um, uh, advocate here, which I think is exactly what I'm talking about. But can you <laughs> can, can you do all of that while still working with capitalism? You can. I mean, this is capitalism. Is one of my good mates, uh, George Cooper, who's a, a physicist. He worked for, used to work for Goldman Sachs and is now a critic of mainstream economics and actually established his own bank recently called Equitanal in London, George argues that capitalism, when you look at it properly, is something which involves a state. It is not independent of the state. And what makes a capitalist system work well, as well as the capacity for individuals to accumulate large amounts of wealth through innovation, you also have a redistributive mechanism in the government's capacity to spend and to tax. Now, I'm actually, I think the taxing side of things is, is a, is a, is, it falls over. If you understand the, the way that the government can create money in the same way that banks create money by 
spending more than it gets back in taxation, it, it can actually spend its, uh, its way to do that redistribution rather than relying upon taxation to claw it back off people. No, so not. it's feasible. That, that could cause all sorts of other issues. I'm not saying it's, it's issue well, we get, free. We get, we, we've gone full circle in this conversation because my answer to that was, but isn't that going to create growth and isn't that going to mean that we're using up more of the planet's resources? Again, there we have to look at what, what is sustainable for us and the use of those resources, which we haven't done. So, And that's something which is very difficult to do with capitalism because one of the great secrets of success of a capitalist is, is to of course, privatise your gains and socialise your losses. And, uh, of course, the classic there of course, the way we've treated the, the, uh, the atmosphere, and this is particularly happening in China, uh, and the fact you, you can't incorporate that in the price system, a lot of neoclassicals would argue just get the prices right, you'll get rid of the what they call externalities. You can't price it properly because if you actually price the entire cost of production, you get a loss because that comes back to one of these other laws of thermodynamics, the second law that says you, you the usage of energy creates more disorder than order. The only way we get what it looks like more order out of it is we extract the energy and refine products and go for disordered raw materials to ordered final products. But the waste we generate when you add it all together necessarily has to be more disordered. If you charge for that waste, that may make a loss. Uh, so we simply can't price system our way out of it. We have to regard ourselves as mining the energy and then say, how much can we afford to mine in terms of ecological sustainability uh, and how can we distribute that? And that's why I think ultimately the only real solution for us as a species is, is to remove the danger that production generates for the biosphere. And that's a danger which, even if even if you know, the global warming sceptics were correct, and believe me, I'm gagging as I say that, um, in 400 years we'd still need to do something about it because I don't, I don't think anybody wants the average temperature of New York to be 100 degrees Celsius. No. Uh, well, it'd be nice in winter, wouldn't it, uh, to be a few degrees warmer? I love the, <laughs> I love, I love the expression, uh, privatize your gains, subsidize, uh, socialize your losses. Uh, we need to try and turn it around the other way, don't we? Maybe that's, uh, p- part of the fundamental problem. But it, it, it seems that, that almost anything we have to do to try and redistribute wealth, it means we have to be much more heavily interventionist in our, in our approach. Yeah, well, we have to, re- and this is what I recommend George's writings on this front. Democracy is a feedback system that keeps capitalism sustainable. It, t- it turns the money turns over and goes back to where it can be respent again. Uh, whereas if we if we just have the um, the raw capitalist system with the financial system backing it up, you tend to get massive accumulations of wealth and massive levels of private leverage, which leads to financial crises like the Great Depression and two thousand and eight. And we simply have to wake up to ourselves about the nature of the system here get past ideology and say if you want a sustainable future you need to have some redistribution built in as well as the generation of wealth in the first instance and you've also got to look at what we're doing with energy which is still something which we're being incredibly ignorant about and we're going to be paying for it really probably in the next two decades well in the in the next two decades let's go halfway through that let's go 10 years in advance are we still going to be saying the wealth of a nation is determined by its gdp per capita or are we going to find a better measure like how happy are people that would be quite a good measure wouldn't it well the bhutan apparently runs itself by a national happiness index i mean one of my biology friends uh, made the comment once that economics is the only profession that adds up its assets and liabilities and calls that calls that uh, uh wealth yeah uh, so there are negatives we need to subtract from the state of living we have for example pollution levels in london I don't know if you get the, the plume reports all the time, but they tell you quite regularly it's not safe to go outside and breathe right now. 
That's London, let alone China. Yeah. Now, it's always um, clear. So the air is clear in the Surrey countryside. You don't have you don't have to travel too far, Steve. It's uh, forty five <laughs> minutes on the train to clear air. Uh, okay, well, I hear this. The, the internet connections aren't quite as good, so I'll stay in London. But um, but this this is the the problem. We we don't properly measure the benefits we're getting out of out of uh, the economy and part of those benefits do really involve this little thing called social cohesion and that's why again nick hanau's article about that with the pitchforks are coming i think it's extremely opposite we're turning a blind eye to the inequality that's causing a level of social breakdown and we're turning a blind eye to the impact we're having on the planet as well so uh, you know we're 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 a marvelous species we can innovate like crazy but we also try to ignore the problems we're having and doing it and uh, we're, we're reaching a real turning point there. I don't think we will be talking about it in 10 years' time because that's enough time for some of the uh, genuine uh, dangers of global warming to well and truly bite. And uh, and we're, we're going to be seeing that in you know, climate catastrophes coming our way. So we're going to get a very rude wake-up call. All right. Uh, let's hope it's not too soon, but I think you might be right. But I also know there will be a lot of economists listening who are saying, what a load of hogwash. Of course. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> Job done. Uh, good to talk, Steve. We'll see you again soon. Okay, mate. Bye. So I'm not totally sure of the answer. Uh, maybe I'm just slow to catch on to this one. But it does sound, I mean, clearly redistribution is key. That is taken as red. But as to this question as to whether we need growth, I think Steve is saying it's fine so long as we take into account our consumption of energy. And that's the defining factor we need to control. If we can do more with the same energy or with less energy, why not have the growth so long as we all feel better off as a consequence, not just a few? Makes sense. Now, next time, why do we allow exchange rates to fluctuate? They used to be fixed, now they float freely. Which system is better and why? That's next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.